today our 1 Corinthians 15 is going to be from verses 29 through 34. And if you don't mind, I've had you stand up quite a bit. We'll, um, we'll keep you awake today. If you can stand up and we'll read uh, in honor of God's Word, we'll stand and read His Word. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all when they are baptized for the dead? Why? Why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Father, we pray for the guiding of your spirit today as we look at your word. In your son's name, amen. Be seated. Our great hope. This is our great hope. That we will have glorified bodies living with a glorified Christ for the rest of our lives. For eternity, that is. Because of the resurrection, we are motivated to live a life that will glorify God right here. Right here and right now. Even at this very moment. Um, Resurrection motivates us to salvation. That's one thing we'll look at today. Then a second part will be that resurrection motivates us for... Um, service, maybe suffering service. And resurrection motivates us for our sanctification, which is right now. We're being sanctified. So what you believe is going to dictate how you live your life. So if you believe in a resurrection, it's going to dictate how you live as a Christian when you really believe that resurrection. Uh, you remember that in the Old Testament, the resurrection was spoken of, not as much as far as Revelation is concerned, but it's there. Job is one of them uh, that will uh, give us a witness of the resurrection. Job uh, believed and knew that no matter how tough the circumstances were and how much suffering that he went through, which I can't imagine how terrible it was, He knew there was going to be a time that he was going to be raised to a new body. And he said, And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh and I shall see God. I shall see Him in a new flesh. I will see God. So, what a great motivation. Right doctrine is connected with right behavior. It's always that way. You behave on how you think. If you're thinking rightly and you have the Word of God in your mind, then you will behave accordingly to that. Now, the resurrection is doctrinal, but it's also practical, isn't it? And that's why Paul is mentioning this section here today. Paul's main point is saying, listen, Corinthians, If you stop believing in the resurrection, if you're going to believe this false theology that's coming through, what you effectively do is you are removing the greatest motivational factor for being a Christian. The resurrection is our greatest motivation. Right at the crux. So what we're going to look at today are motivations that the resurrection gives us. And, you know, this section... 
especially verse 29, is maybe one of the... the, Well, it's not maybe. It definitely is one of the hardest verses in all the Bible. And some have said that it is the hardest verse in the Bible to understand. And uh, it will leave your head... You'll be scratching your head as you look at that. How does this fit in with what Paul has been saying? How does the rest of this, this whole section, how does it fit in with the resurrection? It just seems like it's odd. You know, don't be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. It seems like he takes a rabbit trail, but he's not. It fits in. I've said this for years. Until really I looked at it this week harder and harder, and I'm not saying I have the total ultimate answer to this, but I will say uh, to you that this definitely fits in a lot better to me than it did before. And you might have it all together there, and that's fine, that's great. But um, for me, it's like, oh yeah, okay, now I, I see where this fits in the context. You know, we've always heard of this. Don't be deceived. Evil company corrupts good manners. Right? We've always heard that. It comes in the resurrection chapter. You say, well, how does that work? What you believe is going to determine how you behave. Do you remember the Corinthians? They were uh, believing some wrong things and they were behaving wrongly, weren't they? So here we go. Uh, we get into this very, very, very difficult verse. Verse 29. And you know what? If... If I wasn't expository, I wouldn't even bother to tackle this verse. I am not kidding you. But God has it there for a reason. And so sometimes we have to really dig and we have to go into the mind down deep and really dig to try to find out what it means. And God doesn't make everything clear and just put it out on the table for everybody to understand the absolute truth, does He? He makes you dig. And then when you understand one thing about it, there's going to be something else about that verse. Maybe two years later you come along and you find out a little more depth that's underneath that. And you keep finding more and more throughout your Christian life. Has that happened to you guys? If you're a Christian, you will be shaking your head yes. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? Baptized for the dead. What are you saying, Paul? Well, there are ad infinitum explanations for this verse. I want to tell you, there are plenty of them. You go to a commentary and if they don't skip it, they will go into detail of what this means. And you'll be shaking your head and you go, what? This is complicated. I'm not going to uh, just say, hey, I've got it down and I'm going to tell you what the answer is. Even after we're done today, you still are not going to absolutely know. Because I don't think anybody absolutely knows what it is, but I think we're going to try to get close, if that can help. Um, So, we're not going to presume exactly, I'm not going to be dogmatic, but I am going to suggest one or two things I really believe what it could mean. Um, But first of all, we're going to start with what it's not. And we can know this for sure, what it's not. Now, is that is that good enough? We're going to know absolutely for sure what this doesn't mean. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? It emphatically does not mean that one can baptize himself for a dead person and then that dead person get eternal life. We can all be in agreement right off the bat. All Christians should be able to say... 
Yeah, that's, that's it. That's right. It, it doesn't mean a proxy baptism. Baptizing yourself for somebody else that they can have eternal life. We know better than that, don't we? But back in the early church, going way back when, there was a guy by the name of Marcion. And Marcion taught baptism for the dead, like the way that it's said there. Baptism for the dead. Live people doing it for dead people and then they get eternal life. That's what the Mormons do. We're all familiar with the Mormons and they do it endlessly. And they take uh, genealogies and they will baptize for people. They might have even baptized for you. You never know. Very well could possibly be that you would have some kind of salvation. Well, that would be baptismal regeneration, wouldn't it? And I'm sure that there is nobody here that believes in baptismal regeneration. So what is that? Well, that means if you get baptized, then you are now saved. If you are a baby and you've been baptized uh, as an infant, um, you are now, because of that water, because of the holiness of the priest or pastor, whoever did it, you are now a Christian. Uh, saved by being baptized. Um, there's adult baptism regeneration, as in the churches of Christ. Uh, you can uh, make a confession of faith, make a profession of faith, and say you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you repent from your sins, you have faith in Him, but if you don't get baptized in their water and in their church, then you are still not saved. You could walk out of the church, get ran over by a car, even though you professed Christ before that, if you weren't if you really hadn't been baptized, you will go to hell. That's really baptismal regeneration. So there's baby baptismal regeneration. There is adult baptismal regeneration. And we don't believe in that because we know that salvation is by personal faith in Jesus Christ alone. There is no action, no kind of works that we can do to please God in that way. My own faith cannot save anyone. I cannot save anybody. Uh, here's a story um, that Harry Ironside uh, told of whenever he went to Salt Lake City, which is really the capital of Mormonism. Went there some quite a few years ago, and he was uh, he was a great evangelical preacher, and he met a young Mormon elder, and this Mormon elder told him about this one woman who actually baptized, got baptized 30,000 times. Did you hear that? Did you listen to that? 30,000 times. Now think of that. That's almost as much as for all the people here in Jeff City. And doing one, 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 one after another after another. But over the course of time. Now, um, we know that we are to believe and then be baptized. Baptism is an important thing, but it it does not get you saved. So 30,000 times plus, and every time that she did that, she paid a sum of money into the church, the Latter-day Saints. So you can say that if this doesn't do anything for you in a salvatory nature, it certainly does something as far as the financial nature is concerned in that church. So when you baptize for somebody, here's this lady paying money to be baptized for somebody else. 
So if you were getting paid for every time that uh, somebody was baptized as a church, can you imagine the building fund? Boy, it'd go sky high, wouldn't it? Incredible. So she was using her entire fortune to redeem people from destruction while they were already dead. She was paying all of this to get people out of hell. Now, we know that has nothing to do with Scripture, but that's what she did. She got baptized for all the friends she knew, for all the relatives that she had. And then, did you know what she did? She started going through history books when she started running out of people she knew. Now, 30,000 is a lot of people. There's people on Facebook that have 5,000 friends. (laughs) 5,000. Do you know 5,000 people, individuals? Well, anyway, it's it's quite high. We're still talking 30,000. Well, she started running out, so she goes to the history book, Alexander the Great. So she got baptized for him, Alexander the Great. So he's now going to go to heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, remember him? Well, I think he was a believer after it was all said and done. But she got baptized for him anyway. Julius Caesar was baptized for. Napoleon Bonaparte. Can you imagine that? Cleopatra. All these famous people she started baptizing for. All these historical characters. And the young Mormon elder then uh, said to Mr. Ironside, and this is documented, this is what he said concerning this lady, said this, I believe in the day of judgment it will be proven that this lady through being baptized for the dead, wait for it, has saved more souls than Jesus Christ. He believed, and some Mormon literature teaches that members of the Mormon church are saving more through baptism for the dead than the shedding of the blood, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's wicked. That's from the devil. That is satanic. That's unbelievable how far that is from the truth. And you know what? That's based upon this verse. Read it. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead? Paul said it. What are we going to do with that? Well, I know one thing. Hebrews 9.27 says this. You die once, then comes the judgment. You die once, and then comes it. That doesn't mean that there's going to be a second chance, does it? So we know that that can't be. The dead cannot come back to life and inherit salvation if they didn't put their faith in Jesus Christ alone. Look in Luke 16, where we have the story of a rich man who was in Hades. This is quite a story, and I tend to believe that this is actually real, more than just a parable. Luke 16, verse 24. I've already talked about Abraham and, and Lazarus, uh, or a uh, rich man and Lazarus. And um, verse 23 it says, And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. Now there's a chasm between them. And I don't know how to describe it, but this was before the cross and there was a place of the dead where they were 
put. There was a place that was for believers and then there was a chasm that separated and the ones that were unbelievers. Anyway, then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. However this is, there's some kind of seem like there's some kind of a physical aspect or something here because he's talking about tongue. Even though he has died, he's put in, in this place. I don't know how to say this, but this is a place. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. In your lifetime. You received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented and besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who went want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Can't cross over. You're there. You are, you are judged. And I, then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you should send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. At least warn them that you know they don't want to be where I'm at. At least do that. If I can't even get any relief and comfort, could you tell them? And Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. We come out of the dead and we come back there and appear as, as, as a person, then that will convince them. What does he say? Well, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets... Neither will they be persuaded through one, though one rise from the dead. The, the prophets, the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, it told the whole gospel. Everything was there that they needed for salvation. It's there. They have that. They have the scripture. They have the prophets. And if they don't believe them, why are they going to, they won't even believe if somebody comes out of the dead. Wow. So we see that that is uh, the, the rich man that's in Hades. He got all that he wanted in this life, and that's as far as he could get. I mean, there is a judgment. Okay, now, what about these different interpretations? I want to tell you. There are at least 40 different interpretations. Now, do you think that we're going to sit here this morning and go through 40 interpretations? Well, I think not, because... <laughs> yeah, Audrey says, yeah. <laughs> Um, we have not enough time and some of them are just ridiculous. Um, people that are uh, theologians. But there have been many attempts. It's very difficult. But one of them says that in baptism we are honoring Christ who died. And uh, that's true. We, we honor Christ who died. We, we do. And that's what they're saying. The, the dead here, that's dealing with, with Christ and... What it is when we get baptized, we're actually honoring Him. Well, you know, that's, that's right. But that's not what Paul is saying here. By the way, um, the dead there is in the plural, and it's dead ones. Like thinking of the dead ones. Many, 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 many dead ones. He's not just talking about the dead as in Jesus Christ being dead. Um, another interpretation that says we are dead to the world. What will they who um, do who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? They're, they're saying the dead, really uh, the ones who have, who have died uh, spiritually. 
and they confess Christ, they're now dead to the world. Well, the problem is that the context is a physical death. There's a physical resurrection, there's a physical death. Uh, That doesn't work either for this. Another interpretation uh, is pretty good. Is And this is what uh, I listened to uh, Alistair Begg this week uh, on an earlier one that he had done probably years ago. But I thought it was pretty good after he said it. Uh, and I'm not so sure it's wrong. I'm not so sure it's right. He wasn't either. But uh, here's what he said. Do you want to hear what he had to say? Sure. He's good. We like him. And I'm not saying this is wrong. I think it's good to think about it. He's saying there could have been people in Corinth baptizing for ones who had died. We go, oh, no. Why does Paul mention that? Paul's not saying that he's agreeing here with that. But he is saying if they're doing that, that's what they're doing, even at that sense, then uh, if the dead do not rise at all, you know, they're beginning to believe that maybe we're not going to rise up from, you know, as the resurrection. They're starting to believe that false teaching. And he's saying, well, then why are these people over here doing that then, if, if they don't believe in a resurrection? So, it's not that Paul believes that, and he doesn't take the time to go and explain that because he wants to stay with the context of the resurrection. Otherwise, he's going to go into uh, an altogether different subject almost and follow a rabbit trail, and he'll lose us where we're at. And and Paul can do that sometimes, (laughs) but it's all geared by the Holy Spirit. You know, you see in the book of Romans, and he goes from one thing to another, and then he comes back and closes it up. Well... He's not going to take the time to do that. Uh, he, uh, he's making the point that the resurrection was even believed by these people, although they were in error. That's what Alistair Begg is pointing out. Paul doesn't take the time. Uh, but he's, he's taking note of what they're doing and he's saying, see, even they believe in the resurrection. Now you'd think he'd come back and say, although it's wrong. <laughs> Now, I'm not saying that that's what I believe it is. It's a possibility, though. It's a possibility. Let's look a couple more, and that's about all I'm going to do. I'm trying to look at legitimate ones. First of all, you know, as we talk about baptism, we've got to remember, especially in the early days of the church, when you said that person's baptized, it was good as saying that person's saved. Baptism and salvation were this close together that it was, that's really what it meant. If you're baptized, you're a believer. If you say that today, and especially you guys who are very discerning, when you hear that, hey, that person's baptized, what you want to do is find out, okay, now he was baptized as an infant or what? And if it's just going on the fact of infant baptism, you'll say, well, you guys would say, that doesn't make him a believer, right? Or somebody gets saved at a revival and their lives have never changed. They said, yeah, but he got baptized. I, I know he's a member of the church because way back when he was 10 years old, and that's 40 years ago, I know, I know he's, a, he's, a, he's an alcoholic and he's, he's had five, ten different wives and he's living like the devil right now. As a matter of fact, he even believes in Satanism. But I want to tell you something. The guy's a believer. I know it because I saw him get baptized. See, there again we go. Yeah, right. So today, baptism really doesn't always mean that a person is saved. I'm glad they're baptized, but if their life hasn't changed, that baptism doesn't mean a thing. It's absolutely worthless. Matter of fact, it's deceiving, isn't it? People can bank their salvation on baptism. 
Well, if we turn to Matthew 28, 19, we can say that Jesus said that baptism was very important. So we'll just go a little bit on the doctrine of baptism. 28.19 And in verse 18, Jesus came, spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth. Jesus says, I have all authority. Everything. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Wherever you go, as you go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things, all doctrines, that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And so that's the Great Commission. This is the last thing that we see Jesus being recorded as, as far as Matthew says here. Alright. Well, I think that's something to take note of. Baptism is very much closely related to salvation. We know the confusion that we have today. And if one is has made a profession of faith and they have confessed Jesus Christ and they have repented from their sin, they believe in Christ as their Lord and Savior. Then, if in fact, be true, they're a Christian, right? What if they're not baptized? Can they still be saved? Yeah. But they're still disobedient, aren't they? So baptism is commanded by Christ as we see here. They, they need to be baptized. Can you be a Christian without it? Yeah. But uh, one can be in sin. They're, they're in just out and out disobedience. So it's something that has to be done. That's, that's a command by God to do. Well, there's a possible meaning for the baptism for the dead. We've seen kind of what I think to be one. There's another possible one in, in our 1 Corinthians 15 because there's a Greek word there and it's still it's difficult otherwise what will they do who are baptized for the dead a little three letter word for and you look that up in the Greek and you'll have a lot of definitions for it so we can't dogmatically say uh, for means whatever we want it to say um, but it does have a lot of meaning the word is hooper, H-U-P-E-R in the Greek. It can mean uh, above, about, beyond, across. It can mean on the behalf of. It can be instead of. It can be because of. Let's look at because of. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized because of the dead? If the dead do not rise at all. Because of the dead. Um, there are many who uh, would believe this, and I'm suggesting that this be a good possibility. Paul could have been saying that people were being saved, and that baptizing was the sign, right? That's a sign of your belief. This is, this is what's been happening now. People are being baptized because they're showing that they're saved because of the exemplary lives of the dead people. Dead people who were Christians who had such a mighty witness that they saw them because of the dead. Now this may or may not be the right be, be right interpretation. 
because we're not dogmatic here on this today. Just some good suggestions, I think, of, of people I've gotten from. I haven't done this on my own. Um, Christians who face death most often do it with peace, with joy, and with hope. They're not bitter about it. Let's say if they've had a cancer and they've been on the deathbed for quite some time and all along they've said, you know, I praise God because of the way that He has done in my life that I am saved. And even as I am dying, I'm getting all the strength that I need from the Lord and I know I'm going to die. But you know what? I want to tell you something. God is good. And when people hear that, they're blown away if they are not Christians. They can't understand the peace that somebody who's gone through so much suffering and then looking at death and see the peace that they have. I think that is one of the greatest testimonies that one can have. And maybe not even say a thing. Maybe they are able to say something. Maybe they can't even talk. But yet they have great joy in, in how this has come about. And so they, they know that that person has eternal life. They want to have a reunion with their loved ones. They want to have a reunion of joy. They want to see them again. So you know what? They become Christians too because of the way that a dead one had a great testimony before they died. Now, that happens a lot. Don't you think that that could be a great motivation to get one to think about where they might be going, where they're headed? Atheists have been known to convert. Now, God is the one who converts, but this is the means that He uses. Atheists have been known to convert because they couldn't think of being away from their loved one. And it gets them to thinking. Then they start thinking about eternal life. They start thinking, what if there is a hell? What if there is a heaven? And my husband or my wife is going there and right now, I am not. I'm going to miss them. Or where you have children, grown-up children, for instance, who have experienced their mother or their father dying, and they knew they were Christians. And right after a funeral, those people become Christians. There are endless stories of these. Just ask pastors who have extended uh, the gospel at a funeral and people have become saved because of one who died leaving an exemplary example. I think it's an impact. There is probably nothing more sober than realizing that death hits everybody. And once they start thinking about it and all their foolish notions they used to have, they finally get serious about what happens if I die. Most people don't want to think about that. So Paul could be saying this. Why are people coming to Christ? Because of the testimony of believers who have died. Well, if the dead are not raised at all, why then are many, many present Christians, baptized, become believers, right? Because of the testimony of the ones who were faithful believers who had died. Possibility. If we use that hooper and we say because of, it works for that. Because of the dead. They are being baptized, becoming believers too. That's, that's a thought. Good possibility. Not dogmatic, but it's worth thinking about. 
We've seen Alistair Beggs. We've seen that one. There could be another meaning. This is from uh, David Legge, uh, an expositor from England. Still alive today. And uh, I thought what he had was pretty good. Uh, I think it's very viable. Uh, Hooper can also mean in the place of. To take the place of. In the place of. What's the point of people getting converted and being baptized to replace those or to come in the place of the people who have died because of their faith if the dead rise not? What's the point of replacing those who have been killed for their confession? Those people who have died that were Christians, they had a confession of faith and they were killed, they were persecuted. This was happening at this time. If the dead don't rise again, what's the reason of having other Christians come along and being baptized? It's like an army where you have one front taking on the enemy and they get blown away. So you replace them and come along and they get blown away and you bring in a third bunch of troops and they come in and they get blown away and then that's it. You know, you keep replacing them, but look, there's nothing happening after that. You're not winning this. Why would you keep on doing it? Well, it's the same way with Christianity. Why would we keep on baptizing if there is nothing after this? Once people have died, we still bring people on in to the body of Christ, don't we? We give them the witness of the Word of God, and they become Christians. So the thought that Paul may have here is that people were being converted because they were impressed by a martyr's death and that many Christians were dying and they were effectively taking their place in the place of being saved and being baptized and maybe even themselves going to death. So that's the way that that one is put forth. So, I think those are all legitimate ones. And I won't, I'll spare you from other ones. That's the, the top three that that I think that it could be. I, I respect these. These all come from very respectable theologians and not coming with any crazy things. I'm just saying, if we have to get an answer on that, those are worth looking at, thinking about. It could be this, could be that. Hang on to those because one of these days when you run into a Mormon and you get into this discussion, which if you really know who they are, you will. You probably will get into this one. And Because uh, for by grace you're saved through faith, that not of yourselves is the gift of God. And baptism to them is very important. That's why many Baptists have gone on and joined the Mormon church because they, uh, the Mormons baptized, they thought, like the Baptists did. You believe, have faith, and then you get dunked in the water and come right back out. And so that's all the, uh, some of the Baptists know. And so therefore it must be okay. And these people seem to care more than the other church over here, this Baptist church, so I'm going to join the Mormons. That happens. A lot of Baptists have joined the Mormon church without knowing any doctrine that they have. They don't even know any doctrine. And I have to really question salvation. Anyway, that is a motive, though. uh, And that's salvation. Resurrection is a motivation for salvation. That we will be resurrected. If there was no resurrection, would you want to be saved? What if it is? Right? If this is it, why, why would I want to bother in Christianity? <laughs> if this is all there is. That's why whenever you debate people who don't have a religion, atheistic or agnostic or whatever, it's going to come down to, is there a possibility of afterlife? 
And they have to say there could be. Because they are totally ignorant thinking they know everything once they say there is no way that there is an afterlife. How do they know? They've never been there. How can they say that after billions of people do believe in an afterlife? Many of them are wrong, but at least they believe in that. So that's a good place to start with people. Okay, the next few verses are going to go very quick. I had to spend most of the time on that verse. Has this verse ever troubled you guys? <laughs> are we <laughs> thanks a lot Dennis now I'm really more confused than I ever was before we, we laugh and it's a serious verse but yet it's one of those kind of things that can loosen you up and you say yeah this uh, we can't be dogmatic about it because we don't exactly know what Paul's saying but I like Alistair Begg I like what uh, MacArthur had to say on one this David Legge had another and, and there are many that fall in underneath these guys many 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 so out of those three you know uh, you, you, can, you can take a pick or say hey uh, I like all those those sound pretty good whatever the deal is Paul doesn't spend any more time on it boom he goes right into the next one <laughs> I mean this is it one verse and so that, that's why you do not base a whole doctrine and a whole church on one verse. And that's what cults do. They'll take one verse, obscurity that it is, and not that it's bad. It's a great verse. It came from God. He's inspired. Sometimes we don't understand everything. We take our stab at it though. Verse 30. And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? Now Paul starts coming over here to himself. It's okay. And we, he's talking about the apostles and other believers. And this brings us into play too. Why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Jesus Christ our Lord, I die daily. If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me if the dead do not rise? Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Aha, I get the context on this now. Finally, after years and years. Oh, Paul is just saying all the suffering that we do. All the service that we do. If there's no resurrection, this is stupid to do what we're doing. There is no motivation. If there's nothing at the end of this, this is it, or you go into some kind of nirvana, which means unconsciousness. I think that's really what Buddhism is and Hinduism, really. I mean, it's getting into a state where you don't even, you're just floating about or non existent. I don't know. They've got to come up with an answer that, so they come up with something that's absolutely foolishness. That's what it is. It's foolishness. But we're fools too if this not be true. And Paul's already said we are most to be pitied. We're, we come here, get up early in the morning, meet here, talk about this and say it's the, at the very heart of our belief and if this is all a lie and we know it, that's just a lie, what are we doing? We are fools. But we're based upon something that we know to be true, truer than I'm just standing right here right now. Because there is an afterlife. And because of that, we must deal with it. And of course, Christ is, is the proof of all this. The resurrection is a great motive for serving. Suffering and serving. Why go through all the persecution, Paul? Why are you suffering if you actually know that there is no resurrection of the dead? So Paul says it right here. Okay? 1 Corinthians 15.19, which is something we have done 
earlier. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. He just says it. We are pitiful people. If this not be true, if this resurrection be not true, we're banking everything on this. Can you see how it's the heart of the Gospel now? I know we've said it week after week after week, but I want to tell you, this chapter is very important to all of us because even if you believe in your heart, and you do, if you're a Christian, you have to believe this. But I want to tell you, it's going to anchor it even more when you deal with people out there today in the time that we live in who do not believe in any kind of afterlife, who do not believe in any God, no Jesus Christ. It's all foolishness. It's stupid. And I'll tell you where you go to. You always want to come back with this resurrection. Whether it be Eastern religions, the cults and everything, they all deny the resurrection in, in the fullest truth of it. Romans 8.18 Christians are the only ones that believe this. 1 Corinthians 8.18 No, no, no. Romans 8.18 I'm sorry. I better get the right book. 8.18 For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. All the stuff that you're going through in your life Hard struggle sometimes, isn't it? Life is hard. If you're going to tell me that life is not hard, uh, <laughs> uh, you really need to be truthful. Life is very hard. It always has a challenge. Uh, I like that old song, Life is hard, but God is good. Remember that one? Life is hard, God is good. Always remember, those two go together. Life is hard. Life is a challenge. Life is a struggle. From day to day, Sometimes, boy, but it's not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to come. We focus on what we know that's going to happen. It's even better than even right now. Much better. It can't be compared to it. That's the kind of motivation that Paul had. Whenever he went out there and did all the suffering and being persecuted as he did and being stoned to death or left for dead, maybe he was dead for a few moments, the fact of the matter is, is that he knew what was waiting for him. And that's what Christians know. He went through a lot of stuff just for the purpose of winning others to Christ. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. 2 Corinthians is scathing to the Corinthians. You think 1 Corinthians is hard? 2 Corinthians is even more because they were doubting if he was even an apostle. So he has to prove to them that he's an apostle. And he, and he says, and by the way, the very first verse is Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. Now verse 8, For we do not want you to be ignorant. We don't want you to be agnostic. That In the Greek, that's what it means. It means to not know. An agnostic is one who doesn't know. He doesn't, he's ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia. They were ignorant of, of, the, of this, so Paul wants to inform us. That we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. We were in such despair. We thought we were going to die. We were at death's doors. We should have died. 
Yes, we have the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves but in God. They were at the point where they had nothing but a thread. And they were hooked to God though. All the way to the anchor. But in God who raises the dead. Do you see what Paul, why he keeps talking about raising the dead and the resurrection? Man, when you go through this stuff, you can't help but think about the glory that is to come. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. He continues on. He says, We're in earthen vessels. But the, why? That the excellence of the power may be of God, not of us. The weaker we are, the stronger God looks. You know what? The stronger God is. Here we go. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body, even right now. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. Even though we're at the point of death and despair, we're doing it for you. That is suffering service. Do you guys suffer for others? Do you guys really live for others starting in this church? Do you guys really do that? Do you pray for each other? Start with that. Do you talk with each other? Do you fellowship with each other? I challenge you. Because if you're not, you're thinking about yourself. And then all of a sudden you start thinking those people aren't very friendly. And the other people start thinking those people are not very friendly. I'm not going to talk to them. Or I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. The other person says, I don't know what to say. Listen, we're here to serve each other. And the least we can do is go up and say something to somebody and encourage them. I put that challenge for you this morning. We need to do that. Look what Paul is doing. He went to the point of death, folks. I want you to make note of that. Look in chapter chapter uh, 11, verse 23. Are they Hebrews? <laughs> so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? Oh, I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant in stripes, like the stripes that are laid across his back, above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received forty stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches... 
who is weak, and I'm not weak, who is made to stumble, and I do not burn with indignation, I'm going to boast in the things which concern my infirmity. Uh, All the things that he did. My! Paul did all this? Yeah, he was motivated by the resurrection. Otherwise, he wouldn't have done any of this. It would have been useless. So Paul, here in 1 Corinthians 15, protests. Yes, protests. (laughs) I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in... Christ Jesus our Lord, I died daily. If in the manners of men I fought with beasts at Ephesus. He was in jeopardy every hour, wasn't he? He's telling them, here's what he went through. He vehemently told them that they were making a shambles of Christian service. When they deny the resurrection, if you get to the point where you deny the resurrection, you Corinthians, you're making a shambles of what it is to serve Christ. If anybody had the right to protest, it would have been Paul. Wouldn't you have said that? Wild beast. I have fought with beasts at Ephesus. I don't know what this means for sure. It could be physically that he fought with wild beasts that they attacked him. I wouldn't doubt that at all. I'll look at everything else that happened. Did, a, did a, some kind of a lion attack him or something? We don't know if it's a literal fight, but we know there was a wild crowd of Ephesians who were like beasts in Ephesus, whatever it was, it was life-threatening. Don't have enough time, but if you wanted to read Acts 19, you can, because you can see there was a riot that went on in Ephesus at the stadium there, the local stadium. They had all sorts of thousands of people there, and all of a sudden, because of Paul and all of his teaching and the resurrection and everything, and the, the religious people were beginning to get scared of what was happening in this movement that was happening, and they said, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And they started you know, getting in waves. People started saying, Great is Artemis of Ephesians! And they got them up, and they got them going for hours. They kept doing that, you know. <laughs> craziness that happened. And uh, it was like Paul was chased out of the city. So maybe uh, it came to that point anyway. Um, uh, Paul was at the point of death. He says, Would I have done that if there's no resurrection of the dead? If if the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink. Tomorrow we die. Let's go have fun, man. Go get drunk. Do whatever you want. Do all the immorality that you want. And just let it go, man, because it doesn't matter. Go for it. Go for the gusto. Hey, you only live once, right? And that's what Paul's saying here. Oh, hey, the Bible says that. Let's do it. No, 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 no. We, we wouldn't want to do that, would we? Before, we might have done that before Christ. Eat, drink, whatever. You know, hey, let's go out and have a blast. Tomorrow we're going to die and that's it. Okay. That's the way people live their lives. You know those people. And, and they're in misery. They think they're having fun, but they're, they're having misery. And they're trying to top what they just did the next weekend. They try to go up one step. It's worse and worse and worse. What would Paul? Why would Paul have endured if his only purpose was temporary? If we die and remain in the grave, what difference does this life make? And that's what the world out there believes. We might as well be a hedonist. Whatever you want to do, doesn't matter. Get what you can get. 
it wasn't for Christ, I'd say that's pretty good wisdom. But we know what it's going to, it's going to lead to a very miserable life. That's right. You know that that uh, eat and drink tomorrow we die. If you wanted to turn to Isaiah twenty two thirteen, you'll see that happen there. In Ecclesiastes uh, chapter one verse two and three, same thing. Oh vanities, you know all of that. Solomon tried all that stuff, and we if you read Ecclesiastes, you'll see where that got him, and he realized it's only life in God Himself is the answer. He tried drugs. He tried drinking. He had all the women he could have. I mean, he had everything. He had all the money anybody could ever have. He had it all, man. I mean, if anybody really had it made, it was Solomon. And he came to the end of that. And he saw that it was God only. Now, we anticipate the resurrection. Suffering Christians have always had hope of a better resurrection. Look in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 33. I'm going to draw this to a close. But you have men of faith in Hebrews 11. And you've got these people out there suffering in just horrible ways. Verse 33, "...who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions." Yes, positive stuff. "...quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword." The violence of fire... The edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Uh, Chains, imprisonment, being sawn in two, destitute, afflicted, tormented, wandering in deserts, in in dens and caves of the earth. They hid in holes. (laughs) Because the enemy were after them. Oh my. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame and set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He knew what was at the end of all this. Yes. That's why we do what we do. Well, the last one's the motivation for sanctification. And uh, like I say, I close with this. I wish I had a little more time on this because this is kind of where it's all going. Do not be deceived. Okay, don't be fooled. Evil company corrupts good habits. You say, how does this fit in with the resurrection? Well, if you're thinking right and you're thinking correct doctrine, then you're going to live according to that. And that's what Paul did. Here he's saying, hey, listen, if you hang out with the wrong crowd, if they're giving you wrong doctrine, they're telling you things you can believe and things you can do that you know to be wrong, but all of a sudden it starts rubbing off on you and you start doing those things. Mark this, young people, especially, for living a sanctified life. I want you to take note. There's going to be people telling you things opposite of what we're saying. Take note. This verse here means a lot. Bad company is going to corrupt good morals, good habits. If you hang around with wrong doctrine, false theology, somebody teaches you wrong on what the resurrection is, if we stay stay in context with Paul, he says, then that's going to affect what you believe and then how you live it. And that's why Paul puts up there, I always wonder, why is that just planted right in there? It doesn't seem like to fit. It does, doesn't it? Awake to righteousness. Awake, wake up. Wake up. Pilgrim's progress. Watch out for sleeping. Don't, don't go to sleep. Don't go to sleep. You have a battle going on. How often? Every moment. No vacations from Satan. If you want to know about that, uh, we're in Ephesians 6 on Monday nights. Very practical. Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. That means some don't know God. You know what? They're teaching you wrong things. And you're starting to believe it. 
And what you believe to be wrong, you know what you're going to do? You're going to start living it. The way you think. If you're thinking out of this, and you really know that that's truth, and you're settled on it, you're committed to it, you're going to live it, okay, great. If you think of something else, and it goes against the grain of this, you're going to start living wrong. It happens every time. You start straying away. Things take us away from God's truth and all of a sudden, without us even knowing it, we are going down the wrong line. I'll tell you what, Satan would love to knock your righteousness right out of you. He'd love to have you go down the wrong trail. He's working on you right now. He's working on you every day. And so your armor is very, very important. The Corinthians had a negative influence on them. Proverbs 13.20 talks about how people can affect the way that we think and behave. Proverbs, you can just read Proverbs. Just read Proverbs over and over and you'll see that same message. Be careful who you hang out with. If it's about giving the truth of the Word of God to somebody, great, fantastic. That's, we've got to have unbelievers as friends. But don't let them influence you. You make sure you're telling them who, the, who, who truth is. He who walks with wise men will be wise. That's a promise. But the companion of fools will be destroyed. You want to be destroyed? Hang out with the wrong people. And they'll take you right down the wrong road. And I, I guarantee you, every one of us have been there. We have had peer pressure and we followed what they wanted. And all it does is, is it hurts us. And God says, I don't want you to be hurt. He wants us to wake up to righteousness. He wants us to be sober-minded. Awake to righteousness, not sin for some. Do not have the knowledge of God. They don't know God. I speak this to your shame. Says you're, you're starting to buy what they are teaching you. These people don't know God. They have not the knowledge of God. The word here is gnosis. And later on, it became to be known as Gnosticism. The people in the know. The mystery religions. Gnosis. We know. The Masons have 34 degrees. We have secret knowledge. And you learn this step and this step and this step. We'll tell you what the real truth is. We have secrets. We have mysteries. They don't have any knowledge at all. Gnosticism. And that's what later developed. And they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe that flesh could do that. Those who believe in the resurrection, we know better. These people should have been leading others to a true knowledge of God. They had the truth, but it was a shame. They didn't follow it. Bad theology always will lead to bad behavior. If they would have known God, it had to correct theology. Correct thinking leads to correct living. The resurrection is a motivation. What? For salvation? Suffering, service, sanctification. Let's pray.